Okay, here we go. I'll put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the owner. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. In reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're back now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith, and I'm really excited that you chose to join us for this episode. I'm really excited to be joined by Kel Stenard of AtlantaHawks.com, as well as the ATL and 29 podcast. He is going to know everything there is to know about the Hawks and help me preview the Atlanta offseason. Kel, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, uh, excited to talk this through. Yeah, for sure. And in just full disclosure for all those who don't know, although Kale and I have never met in person, we grew up in the same hometown of Bridgewater, Massachusetts. So he's now in Atlanta. I'm in Orlando, Florida. We're both covering the NBA. Who who would have thunk that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so as we like to do here on the NBA Front Office Show, as a reminder, we are part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and Radio Network. We're so excited to be a part of that show. We're really getting things up and running. This will be our 12th episode of the NBA Front Office Show. If you haven't joined us before, this show is your deep dive into roster building, salary cap, CBA, and NBA transactions. And what we're going to do is start it off here with an Atlanta Hawks preview today of their offseason. We're going to go through every detail you could want to know about the Hawks and really get you educated and in the know about what's happening in Atlanta with the offseason. But before you can look forward, I like to say we always got to look back. So last season that just ended, the Hawks went 43-39, and fifth in the Eastern Conference. They lost in the first round of the playoffs four games to two to the Washington Wizards in a competitive series. The offense was down a little bit. An offensive rating of 104.9. That was 27th in the NBA. Defense was very, very good, though. 105.8 defensive rating, good for fourth. And they played at the 10th fastest pace in the NBA as well. So, KL, I want to get your opinion. Did the season go about as you expected, better than you expected, worse than you expected? Where did things finish up for the Hawks last year? I thought it went a little bit worse than expected. Um... The previous season, they'd won 48 games, and I figured that subbing out Horford for Howard, that they probably would come in a little bit below that in the regular season, but I was interested to see how it played out in the postseason. I mean, I felt all along that the getting Dwight was a move geared towards the postseason, and whatever they got out of him in the regular season was just sort of gravy. Um and so I think it was a little bit of a disappointment, not so much for the regular season, but for the way things went in the playoffs. They didn't win a playoff series. They didn't really, you know, get Dwight 
you know, fully set up in the playoffs. I, it was interesting. You know, I thought they had a, a nice plan of attack versus the Wizards. Uh, in terms of pick-and-roll defense, they pretty much did what the Spurs did with Pau Gasol. They planted Dwight under the rim. Their pick-and-roll coverage was just Dwight, drop back, Dwight, drop back. And, you know, that using that, they were able to sort of stick with the three-point shooters and, you know, force Beal and Wall into floaters. And, you know, over the course of the series, Beal and Wall eventually kind of got in the groove there and, and made him pay on that. But, you know, it seemed like a pretty good strategy. It kind of incorporated Dwight. But at the same time, um, you know, what happened in the playoff series is kind of what happened all season long, which is that when they got behind and they were feeling things out for points and they needed to get points in a hurry, they – they turned away from Dwight, and so he didn't get to play that much in the playoff series when they were, you know, going to their get some points lineups. And you know that kind of didn't go over well with Dwight uh, in the exit interviews. He was kind of upset about not having played as much in the playoff series as he would have liked. Yeah, and so that's going to take us into the next topic of discussion. And you know, upset or not, he he's no longer a part of the Atlanta Hawks. As of last night, we're recording this on Wednesday, the twenty first. As of Tuesday night, Dwight Howard has been traded to the Charlotte Hornets. That is not one of these trades where we hear about it and then a month later, in the middle of July, it's actually official. This one is done. It is in the books and sealed. It ultimately, the end trade was Dwight Howard in the thirty first pick, the first pick of the second round to the Charlotte Hornets for Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and the 41st pick. So, Kale, break down that trade a little bit. What was the Hawks' thought process on that trade, and where do you think this leaves them going forward? You know, it's it's interesting. If you look at, you know, Dwight's playoffs, we talked a little bit about the in-game stuff. He... Uh, you know, he switched agents in between the regular season and the postseason. You know, and then at the exit interview, he kind of expressed some displeasure. And then about a month later, he switched agents again while the playoffs were still going on. You know, it, it seemed like there was some posturing there. Maybe he wasn't happy. Maybe the Hawks weren't happy with him. But, you know, just the fact that he changed agents twice, you know, you get the sense that that things maybe weren't going swimmingly. So it seemed like... You know, one of their goals, especially in light of, of you know, their salary cap situation, which we'll get into later, was was to get that salary off the books. Um, in in the press release coming from that trade, the new GM Travis Link said, you know, that that the move gave the Hawks more flexibility, which is true. I mean, they sent out some salary that they didn't want. They took back a whole bunch of salary in Miles Plumley. Uh, almost as much as they sent out. Uh, so, you know, it's not great in that sense, but you, you're trading a big contract that you weren't really that happy with for a slightly smaller one, even though it's longer. That gives that gives the Hawks a little bit more flexibility. Um, they did have to trade down 10 spots in the second round, which, you know, I guess isn't great. But, you know, if your primary objective was, you know, let's move on from Dwight Howard, they did that. Yeah, and that's that's ultimately, in my opinion, that's what this trade was designed around. I, I think you've touched on a little bit, and I'll say what maybe you can't say is that 
it just seemed like that situation had gone south, and it was time for Dwight to move on. I think Travis Schlenk is coming in from the Golden State Warriors, which is a very close-knit, tight team, and he wants to rebuild that in Atlanta and get back to where they really were a couple years ago, which was a very close-knit, tight team. And I think with Dwight Howard, that's just so hard. He's, he's a, let's just call him mercurial, I guess is the best way I can describe him. He's, he's always been a tough-to-get-along-with guy, whether that be in Orlando or Los Angeles or uh, Houston and now Atlanta. He, he has proven to be someone that teams just they, they struggle with for whatever reasons. And I think a lot of times there's an addition by subtraction. Now, I called Miles Plumley. I have no problem calling myself on it. For Real GM, I wrote this year that he was one of the most untradeable contracts in the NBA. And then he has proceeded to be traded twice from the since then. So, <laughs> so who who knows what I know actually? So, um, but you know he he is owed twelve point five million dollars for each of the next three seasons, all fully guaranteed. Bellinelli six point six million that comes off the books after this season. But you know Plumlee's deal it, it's not good. I'm just going to call it what it is. Sure. But it, it but it's not going to it's not going to kill you. It's you know 12.5 million by the end of this off season just about every team in the league will have at least one contract that looks like that. Um you know we there's a reason Zach Lowe calls it the silly season, right? Cuz NBA teams can't help themselves. They they spend money when they have it to spend. So that's not going <laughs> to really you know that's not going to not going to destroy you and I think you know what it does is it, it's one. It's when you get into two and three and four bad contracts. That's when you really put yourself in a difficult situation, as we saw with the Los Angeles Lakers with Lou Aldang and Timofey Moskov. When you got two big ones like that, that becomes a tricky spot and really hard to work around. And as it stands today, Plumlee's the only center under contract on the roster. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, so he, uh, you know, if, if if we had to tip it off tomorrow, he'd be probably in the in the starting five, you know, there in the man, manning the pivot for for the Hawks. But right. So if, you know, in, in terms of that, you know, just kind of. Uh, you know, interjecting one thought because yeah. that's exactly right, which is that, you know, if you're going to take on salary that maybe isn't your your the greatest salary ever <laughs> in Miles Plumley, at least get it at the right position. You know, if it was somebody that was going to be a wing that was going to be buried behind their young wings, you know, that would just look like dead cap weight. But, you know, he might he might get some run. You know, their roster situation is such that they need a few bigs, and so, you know, I can see him playing. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is definitely going to be part of it. We're going to get into some of these other free agents because I think what this might have done is changed some of the math um, for maybe a guy like Mike Muscala. I think he he could be more likely now to to return um, and in a bigger role. But what I want to go to next, because you you touched on it, Travis Schlenk, he's the new guy. He's running the show now in the front office. From what you've been able to see, I know you've had a chance to be around him some and talk to him. What do you think is we should expect from Travis Schlenk running the Hawks, and, and what's the direction of the team going forward? Um, you know, a couple of the things that, that he's emphasized uh, going forward. Um, one that I asked him about was, you know, you know, what sort of defense – does he want to play? And he said, you know, he wants it to be like what he has in Golden State or what he had in Golden State, which is you know, he wants to have a lot of similar-sized athletes, guys, you know, who are rangy, guys who are athletic, and, you know, have the ability to switch in a lot of situations. Um, so, 
you know, that's that's one thing that he's going to prioritize. You know, another thing that's come up a, a few times uh, in, in what he said over the last uh, month or so is that, you know, he prioritizes flexibility. You know, he said that in reference to Millsap. He said that in reference to the Dwight Howard trade. So, you know, and he just said it in his, his introduction too, which is, you know, he wants to be ready for the moment where they can make a big move should a big move come along. So, you know, he's just trying to sort of set himself up, you know, acquire, I guess this is me uh, interjecting my own guess at it. You know, I think he wants to acquire assets and, you know, keep the cap situation in such a way as, as uh, to be as flexible as possible and, and you know, through maybe a series of moves, uh, get things headed upward. Yeah, and I think that's really important. One of the things you touched on there was collect those assets, keep things flexible so that when you have that ability to pounce and add that big name or star player, you're able to do so. I think all too often we we get wrapped up in you got to do it right now, and sometimes the most pa- the best approach is the patient approach where you build this over a series of time. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that he that he said a few times is that he, you know he wants to have uh, high character guys. That that was something that was uh, important to him. And uh, you know, one thing that he said, just kind of in passing, that um, you know that stood out a little bit is that you know he thought that his style and Coach Budenholzer's styles were almost perfectly in sync. Um, you know, the one thing he said that maybe he'd want to change a little bit is pace. He wants them to play faster. Uh, in your very thorough notes here, you've noted that the Hawks were tenth in pace last season, so it's not like they were dragging all over the place. But at the same time, you know, it sounds like Schlink wants to go faster. Yeah, and that's probably an offshoot of coming from Golden State, where they play, you know, right at the top of the league in pace. So mm-hmm. that that doesn't surprise me, you know, and that's. One of the things that pace can help do is if you're if you don't have the most talented offensive team, sometimes it can create you know other opportunities for you as far as early and easy offense pushing the ball. You know, and I say think you know we'll, we'll see as they transition, and that's playing at a faster pace. That could enter into why Dwight Howard was traded because you're not going to play at a fast pace with a guy like Dwight. It's just really not going to happen unless he's content to just be a defense and rebound guy who gets it up the floor. But once he, he's worked into the half-court offense, it's just really not going to happen um, with him. So, you know, that that all is, you know, it it matches with everything that I've heard, not being as close to the situation, that that's, that's the approach. So now we're going to kick it into the offseason. And the Hawks have a max cap space, by my project, my calculations rather, of $37.2 million. Now, qualifier, max cap space means if they were to let every free agent go, they didn't sign their first round draft pick, that's how much money they could have. So that's not a realistic number. So don't get attached to that and say, <laughs> I heard $37 million. That is just an idea to give you the extreme top end of the bounds. Now, my projection for the Hawks, and this one we're going to spend a second breaking down, and if you want to follow this, you can go to my Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA, and there is a tweet pinned to the top of my timeline that has a link to my NBA salary and roster sheets, and there is a tab in there called 2017 Projected Space Worksheet. The Hawks are actually the very first team on that tab because we go alphabetical by city, so they're right up at the front. (laughs) I love that, by the way. Like (laughs) I I think I saved like 10 minutes. 
minutes a week just by Atlanta being the top of alphabetical order. Right? Yeah, pro- I'm sure in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the the um you know so you can get in there and look, and you can follow along to see how I get to the projection I get to. So my projected cap space for the Hawks is none. And the reason for that is primarily it's Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap has a massive cap hold as a free agent of a little over $30 million. So that essentially ties up any cap space the Hawks could have. Now, if the Hawks want to go into the summer with cap space, they can just say, renounce Millsap's rights, we're not bringing them back, and, and anything like that. And that's exactly where we're going to start, is with Paul Millsap. He's an, he's a He has a player option, has not officially, correct, is this right, KL, has not officially declined that player option yet? Um, I know he I'm indicated at- he would. Yeah, he indicated that he would. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, in in and I think I, I can't remember who it was you or if it was uh, um, Chris Vivlemore who said, you know, unless he you know falls down a set of stairs or something like that, <laughs> some, someone said he's going to decline, you know, that player sure. option. Which which you know at this point at his age, that's the smart thing to do. This is his. And, and that's been true since like uh, since like December. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and at his age, this is his last shot at getting another big contract. He's, this is the last chance he's probably going to get to get anything you know, two, three, four years at, at big money. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So I'm going to kick it to you now. Is Paul Millsap going to be back with the Atlanta Hawks or do you think it's time that he's going to move on? Uh, you know, I think yeah, it's tough to say, but I, I don't think the Hawks are going to give him you know, a a five-year max. I don't. I don't think that's coming his way. I don't know. You know, maybe they could do something like a four-year max. You know, with player options or eight and a half percent raises. But I don't think he's going to get the fifth year. And when you hear Schlink talk about how much he prizes flexibility, I can't see them making that sort of commitment to Millsap. I mean, I don't know if it's posturing or not, but I, you know, I sort of take Schlink at his word that you know he really does look at this as you know a situation where. He, he needs to be flexible. He needs to be ready for some move down the line. And, you know, if they commit as much money as it would take to get Millsap back, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be t- tricky. You know, he has said that, you know, there is a right price. You know, Millsap, you know, being a forward four-time All-Star, Slink has said, you know, it's possible to have Millsap back on a contract that's a good contract. But... Um, you know, I don't think that contract is going to be a five-year max. Yeah, and, and it should not be. <laughs> Just to cover <laughs> off, Paul Millsap's going to be 33 about uh, right around the All-Star break next year. And a five-year deal for a guy where it would close out when he's turning 38 years old is just that's not a good business. <laughs> you know, no, nobody nobody should be doing that. You know, my thought has been all along is that I think you're absolutely right. I think there is there's a number the Hawks have. If Millsap can beat that number, it's going to be thanks for everything you've done and, you know, good luck in all your future endeavors. Um, I think it is a situation where – Paul Millsap needs to do what's best for Paul Millsap, and the Atlanta Hawks need to do what's best for the Atlanta Hawks. And those two, in my opinion, they're just not going to match up because there's going to be some team that's going to say, you know what, Millsap's the last piece to make us a playoff team, make us a contender, whatever it is, and they're probably going to offer more money than Atlanta's comfortable giving him. And at that point, it's probably in the best interest of both parties to, to just separate and go their separate ways. 
Right. I mean, doesn't Denver sort of make sense? Absolutely. Denver's a team that keeps coming to mind. I know for that brief period of it, it felt like about five minutes that Millsap may or may not have been on the market last year, it felt like the Denver Nuggets were one of the teams. It, I, I not felt like they were one of the teams that really wanted to get him, along with a couple other teams. The New Orleans Pelicans were in there. The Sacramento Kings were interested at that time. This was pre the DeMarcus Cousins trade when the Kings still had hopes of being a playoff team. There were a lot of teams interested, and, and that to me is the big mistake that the team made, which was not trading him at that time. And that's one of the dangers you run into when the guy making the personnel decisions is the same guy coaching the team because it's it can be too hard to separate those two things. And yeah. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, it was kind of tricky and kind of weird and that, you know, it felt like, like I said before, you know, signing Dwight felt like a playoff move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, Dwight wasn't really going to look good in the regular season. And so it felt like, you know, if you're going to sign Dwight, you kind of got to let Paul Millsap get one swing at the postseason with him. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, they traded Corver, and that kind of made it feel like things were shifting the other way. But Corver really didn't have a good season here. Like, when Corver was here for the previous, I want to say three seasons, maybe it was four, I think it was four, actually. You know, he was always, like, the plus-minus leader. Like, when he was on the court, the Hawks were as good as they were going to be. And then this season, it didn't really work that way, and I think part of that's because Corver's 36. Part of it was because I think the ball movement wasn't the same with Howard and Schroeder as it was with Teague and Horford. And so, you know, Corver wasn't as good a fit as he had been in previous seasons. So that was kind of a tip-like hey, you know, maybe we're going to rebuild. And then all of a sudden they, they switch course on Millsap. And, you know, I don't know if that was strategy, if that was ownership interjecting. It was, you know, could have been a lot of things. But it was funny seeing that weird uh, dynamic where they traded one veteran but not the other. Yeah, and that, and that was exactly where I think we all went to was, well, Corver's gone, that's it, fire sale, It's they're tearing it down, they're going that way. And, you know, true or not, there was definitely very strong fan reaction to that. They, they were still in the playoff and ultimately finished, obviously, as a playoff team in the fifth seed. But it was like, wait, are we really breaking this up? And people, you know, really kind of went a little crazy on that. And with Corver, to, to your point, I remember when he originally came to Atlanta and they basically said, we're going to build the offense around Kyle Corver and what he can do. And a lot of people were like, wait, Kyle Corver, this guy doesn't even score 10 points a game. <laughs> and I remember there was a game, I think it was two, it was in the 2015 season when Corver was an all-star and he shot 49% for the year from three. There was a play in a game, and I believe it was against Charlotte, where all they ran him through a set of screens, and by the end of the play, all five Hornets defenders were in his immediate area because that's how much teams were you know, terrified of Kyle Corver sure. getting an open look. And you know, people look at it and say, well, he led the league in three-point shooting again at 45%. But most of that came with Cleveland. He was 48% with Cleveland. Now, he's still very good with Atlanta, nearly 41%. So don't don't get me wrong that he wasn't good there. But most of that came from shooting 48% from Cleveland. But regardless of all that, when you can get a first-round pick, I don't care what first-round pick it is, for a guy who's yeah. his age and expiring contract. Yeah, that's expiring good. 36-year-old. I mean, yeah, yeah that's that's... That's a that's a deal and a half, really. Yeah, those are the kind of guys who return like a protected second round pick, and sure. that you never see. It's one of those top fifty five that's never intended to convey and 
no one sees it. That's a, as a, as as our friend Eric Pincus puts it. That's a that's a something nothing or a nothing something. Yeah, that's <laughs> never meant to go anywhere. So, but back to guys who are still with the Hawks at the end of the season. The next guy I want to talk about is Tim Hardaway Jr. So he's a restricted free agent. The Hawks acquired him about midway through his rookie scale contract with the New York Knicks. Really had a breakout season this year. Became a very good. Um, shooter score to me from when I watched him play looked like he was much better off the dribble than he had been earlier in his career looked like he was a lot more confident he became a um, regular starter I'll, I'll say a semi-regular starter by the end of the year you know was was playing a lot and starting a lot of games so what is your thoughts on Tim Hardaway Jr. as a restricted free agent to remind everybody the Hawks have match rights assuming that they make him a qualifying offer which is almost assuredly going to happen. So they will be able to match any kind of deal. So what do you think is a fair deal for Atlanta? But but first, do the Hawks even want to bring this guy back? I, I, you know, if it had been the old administration with Budenholzer and Wilcox, I mean, I think they would. Um, he totally transformed his athleticism since he arrived in Atlanta. You know, gradually over the course of the two seasons, he, like, made himself into a freak. <laughs> like, he is so bouncy now compared to when he got here. Um, and and actually, you know, with, with the ball movement not being as good last season as it had been in prior seasons, you know, he was actually a better fit for the Hawks than Corver was you know, by by the middle of the season, by the end of the season, because he could create his own look. You know, he was so athletic to the point that, you know, he was a pretty good three-point shooter. I mean, good in the sense that, you know, he's about league average, but he can create a high volume of shots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if teams start to overplay that, boom, he's gone. He's going to the rim, and, and he finishes there pretty well with his athleticism. The question, I think, now is, you know, one, you know, what are the offers that come in from other teams? And two, you know, what does Flink think about his defense? He's not a great defender, and I think part of that is always going to be limited a little bit by his size. He's not the biggest player, or he doesn't have the greatest wingspan, that kind of thing. So, it, you know, it's going to be tricky. I, you know, he's still an asset because he is a restricted free agent. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Had, had it been the old administration, I would have felt pretty good about saying, yeah, they'll probably do what they can to keep him, but, um, you know, again, like with Millsap, there's probably a number at which they think it's a fair deal, and, there's, you know, beyond that, they might say, you know what, his, his defense isn't as good as it needs to be to, to pay him that much. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's exactly where it is. I, I think in the restricted free agent pecking order, he's a little further down the list. I, th- I think you've got guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope or the G- Detroit Pistons. You have Otto Porter or the Washington Wizards. Those are the top-end targets. I think Hardaway's probably in that next tier of, uh, of restricted free agents that teams could look at. Another challenge for for the Hawks is they have Kent Bazemore and Marco Bellinelli. Now, Bellinelli is probably not a long-term guy. He's probably a, a one-year guy, but they've got DeAndre Bembry. We're going to talk about Mike Dunleavy. Those guys all overlap with Hardaway Jr. a little bit because they're all wing players. So that could also factor into how far they're willing to go to, to bring him back. Bazemore, in particular, has two more fully guaranteed years and then a player option at the end of that for the 1920 season. So it'll be interesting to see where um, that ultimately goes with, with Hardaway because of the, the overlap on the roster. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, the fact that it's not a uh, cap spike year, yep. that, you know, that it's staying a lot more consistent with what the cap was last year, that, you know, the short playoff series and all that made it even lower. Now, I think there's going to be a squeeze in the sense that there aren't going to be as many cap-free teams or cap-light teams that can make offers to him as there might you know, as there might have been in a different season. So, you know, if you have that sort of summer of 2016 picture in your head, yeah, he's going to get a big offer. But I think, you know, looking at this season with the cap being a little bit tighter with teams up against the cap, it, you know, there are some teams out there, you know, maybe Brooklyn or something like that who, who might make an offer. But uh, I don't think there are is that high of a number of teams that are going to make that big a pitch. So it might be in the Hawks' best interest to wait a little bit. Yeah, watch out for the Nets, watch out for Philadelphia, watch out for the Sacramento Kings. Those are three teams that are going to have a ton of cap space. They can play the restricted free agent game and really, if for no other reason, make it really painful for Atlanta to match <laughs> if, they, if they really want to want to keep Tim Hardaway Jr. So I, I want to diverge from the free agents for a second because I, I brought up one, one of the two rookies from last year. So I want to talk about the, these two guys because they're, they're, they're going to be on the team. They're under contract. But I want to get a sense from you of DeAndre Bembry and then Torian Prince. How did those two guys perform in their rookie season? Let, let's start off with Prince because I think he was, by the end of the season, he was starting playoff games. He was a big part of the rotation. Where can things go for him next season? I think things can go really well for him next season. I mean, when you hear Schlenk talk about things like, you know, he wants defensive flexibility and he wants guys who are athletic and rangy, it's like you start looking at the roster for that and, you know, of the guys who are under contract, nobody fits the bill really better than than Prince does. And, you know, he showed the ability to, to do a little bit of everything in his, you know, rookie season. He he can defend, he's big, he's bouncy, he can make plays off the dribble, he can make plays off the catch, like he's really good at, you know, when the ball swings to him on the weak side and he gets to attack after somebody's kind of already tilted the defense, he is really powerful at, at making defenses pay for coming over late. Um, you know, another thing that happened sort of later into the season, I think they didn't do it as much early because they didn't want to overwhelm him. Uh, is that they played him a little bit more power forward. If you look at what the Hawks do with Budenholzer, they basically have two wings and two bigs, and the roles there don't differentiate between the two wings much, and they don't differentiate between the two bigs much. And so, you know, they gave him the crash course over the first few months of the season as a wing. Later into the season, you know, they were using him at power forward in a lot of those lineups where they were trying to generate points and come from behind and things like that. He has a lot of potential in that area, and, and if Millsap goes, they don't have a lot of bigs. So I think one of the things that you might see even more of next season is him playing small ball lineups as a power forward. But he can do a little bit of everything, and unlike Bembry, uh, he's already got a nice jump shot. Like, he's going to be a league average three-point shooter, if not this upcoming season, probably the one after that. Yeah, I, Bembry, I you. Yeah. Oh. oh, sorry, on Prince. No, no yeah, I was really excited by what we saw, especially by the end of the year. And you're right, he's bouncy, he's athletic. He's going to fit into what they're going to try and build there. And as a you know guy who's cost-controlled on a on a rookie scale contract, not only a rookie scale contract, but one of the last 
old rookie scale contracts, which is super <laughs> cheap. Yo, they've they've got they've got a good one. But yeah, let's talk about Bembry. So he spent a lot of time in in the NBA D League, um, rebranded uh, just this week as the NBA G League, officially the Gatorade League. And um, I know he spent a lot of time down there, kind of. He was on that little bit of that shuttle um, back and forth um, from there. But what what can you tell us about DeAndre Bembry and how his rookie year went? Yeah, you know, shout out to Wes Wilcox. I mean, he's no longer the GM, and, you know, say what you will about, you know, some of the things he did in free agency. I feel like he nailed the draft. Uh, Bembry looks really good. I mean, he's he's more of a combo guard, uh, not necessarily maybe a pure point guard, but, it's, you know, if you feel like you want to have a lineup where you have two ball handlers and you can have somebody, uh, you know, as your your second person to run a pick and roll, you know he can be really good at that. He's super athletic, really bouncy. He's probably going to be a lockdown defender. I mean, there were there were times this season like uh, you know the the Hawks won a game on the road in Houston, and basically they gave him the fourth quarter and said DeAndre, you know you're going to guard James Harden, and he did a good job of it. <laughs> like. He's got everything that they really want, including, like, a really good sense of passing. Um, the one thing that he's got to get better at is he has to learn how to shoot. Um, you know, there, he went months at the beginning of the season not making a single three. Um, he, he, he does a lot of good things in terms of, uh, you know, cutting making backdoor cuts and things like that to try to mitigate that as much as possible. And, you know, in the grind of an 82-game season, I don't think teams necessarily played him as the non-shooter that he is. Uh, you know, if you try to get into a playoff series or something like that, it's going to probably get a little bit more exposed. So he just needs to get better as a shooter, and he'll be fine. Like, he can defend, he can pass, he can handle the ball. He can do everything, but he needs to get better as a shooter. And, you know, you mentioned the – the D-League, G-League, um, he did shoot like 37% or something from three in a very small sample size in his trips to the to what was then the D-League. Um, so, you know, there is there is a little bit of promise there, but, you know, just looking at the, the form and the results of, of his season at the NBA level, there's work uh, to do on the jump shot. Yeah, absolutely. And one, and one really cool thing, I know you're a D-League guy and you follow it, to, to some extent, too. And one really cool thing for the Hawks is they, they've got their own team this year. They don't have to come into an agreement and share guys with other teams and that. They're, they're going to have the Erie Bayhawks this season. And then is it is it next season for the 18-19 season when, when their own new team will start play? It's actually 1920. 1920, okay. Which sounded funny because they kept saying, you know, in 1920 we're going to have a team. <laughs> and it's like, wait, that was 80-something, 90-something years right. ago in 1920. No, so they, they're going to be in Erie for two seasons. Okay. Um, and, so, and, and then after the two seasons, they're going to move to College Park, which if anybody's been to Atlanta uh, via airport, it's right near the airport. So they'll... They'll have a team there in two years, but for the next two years, they'll have it set up in Erie. Awesome. And in just as a quick interjection, doesn't have anything to do with the Hawks, but the Washington Wizards announced today they're going to start their own D-League franchise in the 18-19 season. They'll join the New Orleans Pelicans with a new one, and that will leave us with just the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers without NBA G-League teams. And I'll be calling it the D-League for probably the next three years, and then I'll finally 
switch and remember and transition to G League, but that that's, that'll that'll be for for another show. But just a little <laughs> little nugget of news there. Well, we're almost there. You know, we Adam Silver is passionate about getting this to a 30 team minor league system, and we really need that to be there for this to be the most effective use of the G League and the two way contracts that are new in the CBA and those sure. type of things. But let's get back into the Hawks. Let's get back into the free agents. I'm going to bet, unless you watch this team on a regular basis, you don't know how good Mike Muscala is. This guy can play. He shot over 50% from the field. He can stretch it out to the three-point line. He was a, let's see, a 42% three-point shooter. He's a real new-age stretch five. He's a solid defender. Probably no one's, no one's going to mistake him for Dwight Howard on the defensive end, but, but he can do some things. Decent rebounder. He has really blossomed as a backup, and now he's an unrestricted free agent. Because Howard's gone, and we, we mentioned at the top of the show, only Miles Plumlee is the only true center left on the roster. I think that may open an opportunity for Muscala to come back. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if you when Muscala, when I first started covering the team, Muscala said that um, that in his first season, um, you know, they have a bunch of like posters on the wall of the locker room. Uh, they're like two foot by three foot posters, you know, of every player on the Hawks. And he said that when he got to, uh, you know, late in his rookie season, Danny Ferry, you know, took him over to his poster and said, "We're taking this down." And Muscala was like, "Why?" He's like, because your shooting form's not very good. And so, you know, they made him work on his shooting form. They took down his poster, and, you know, they said, you know, when your shooting form's better, we'll put, back, we'll put one back up with your new form. And, you know, by the next season, he was, you know, flirting with that 50-40-90 range. You know, he's that kind of shooter. He's got a lot of potential on offense. You know, he's, he can shoot. Uh, you know, in pick-and-roll plays, he's a really good passer on the short roll, you know, finding guys in the corners, things like that. He can pick and pop. Um, so he's a really good offensive player. Defensively, he's really good at contesting shots. That's where, you know, where you start to feel his length a little bit. You know, when, when he's got a switch on the perimeter and somebody tries to shoot a shot over him, he's, he's really good at contesting jump shots. Um, and like you said, he's, you know, a pretty good rebounder. So, you know, he's, he's not a super physical big, but he's, you know, he's a big that's made for the year 2017. I mean, this, <laughs> this is the NBA now. Um, so, you know, he'll probably get some offers. He's one of those guys who can be really valuable to a team. He does a lot of things well. Yeah, I look at him similar to if the Hawks don't retain him, he's going to be a guy that some really smart team, Reed, San Antonio Spurs, <laughs> like team will grab him for a contract that was like, meh. And then by Christmas, we're all going to be like, man, Mike Muscala is good. How did we not know how good this guy was? You know, and that, that'll be what average fans will be saying. So, yeah, I definitely think um, he – I think it opens the door for him to return. It'll just be interesting to see where his market develops this summer. Now I want to get into what I, I kind of refer to as the grab bag of veterans. <laughs> so these guys are four guys – Ersan Ilyasova, Tabo Cephalosha, Chris Humphreys, and Jose Calderon, they are all unrestricted free agents. I'm just going to kick it to you. You give me a sense of if you think any of these guys will be back or if they're probably all moving on, it's time to go with younger options, they're going to have better options elsewhere. Just tell me what you think of the, of any one of those four guys. Oh, we got to do all four. 
All right, let's do them. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll, so we'll do all four, but just, yeah, well, you take it where you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I won't make this drag out too long. Yeah. All right, so Ilyasov is interesting. Uh, when he first got uh, traded to the Hawks, they shortened the big man rotation to three players. It was Howard, Millsap, Ilyasova, and they didn't use Muscala for a few weeks. And I think it was just a, a means of, you know, just giving Ilyasova a crash course of minutes. Give him enough so that he got familiar with the system, got familiar with his teammates, you know, get him ready in a short amount of time. And that that was hard on Muscala, I think, in the sense that when he did get back and they expanded it back to four bigs, you know, it took him a little bit to get back into things. And, you know, in the postseason, I'd have to double-check on the minutes, but it felt like they relied a whole lot more on Ilyasova than they did on Muscala, which I thought was interesting. And I think part of that maybe was defense. You know, Ilyasova is like a really underrated positional defender. He's not going to defend the rim, but he's going to get in the way and kind of make things hard for you. And he's, he's uh, you know, he's really strong. He's just a strong guy. Yeah, and I'll interject real quick with one thing. Annually, amongst the league leaders and charges taken. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, for, that was for running tag all season yep. long. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that goes all the way back to his Detroit, Milwaukee days. He's always up there at the the top of that list. But but continue. So if it was if it was Wilcox Budenholzer still in charge, I think they really liked what Ilyasova did, and I would have said, yeah, they'll probably bring him back. You know, with Schlink, you know he. I'm not sure. You know, does if, if this gets into a little bit of a youth movement, um, you know, maybe that's not as good a fit. You know, I I would expect maybe the Budenholzer will put in a good word for him. Um, but it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I thought about Bellinelli is that you know while he isn't the world's greatest player, uh, you know, if you're going to go with younger lineups and play some of these guys like Bembry and Prince and you know and some of the players that they draft this year. I think it helps to have shooting on the floor. You know, I thought, you know, if you look at what Elias Silva did with the Sixers, mm-hmm. just kind of a stable guy who, you know, makes the right play, stretches the floor, can be really good for the young players. And so in that sense, you know, maybe they try to keep them. Yeah, and at some point, too, you need you need grown-ups in the locker room. Where I, we, we just did the Philadelphia 76ers preview a couple of days ago, and one of the things we said about Gerald Henderson is a lot of people will say a guy like him is like, why is he on the team? He's not good anymore. Play a younger guy. But the 76ers loved him because their words exactly to me were, we have a grown-up in the locker room, you know, <laughs> to help, you know, and teach these young guys. So I think that is also, you know, a place where a guy like him can come in, you know, and really – you know, he's going to show, like, this is what it means to practice. This is what it means to play, to, to do the right kind of things. And, you know, in addition right. to, you know, being it's, – it's not like he's a not useful player on the court either. He can still play and, you know, definitely help the team there. So taking these out of order then, uh, yeah. let, me, let me transition to Calderon because, yeah. you know, if, if you talk about the grown-up in the room <laughs> – There's the grown-up. Um, I think he's, he's the other grown-up in the room and – but I think, you know, if you compare him to Ilyasova, I think Ilyasova is going to be a guy who is the grown-up in the room as, as with example, not words. He's, yeah. he's going to be the trendsetter, and you're just going to see what Ilyasova does. Whereas Calderon may be back as the grown-up in the room as sort of a vocal leader. Um, you know, the Hawks really liked having him here. They kind of just lucked into him when uh, when KD got hurt, and thankfully KD got better. Um and, and, you know, the Warriors had to go out and uh, 
who did they get? Uh, Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes. I'm yeah. sitting here thinking of his yep. face and not able to say his name. That's right. They got Matt Barnes, and so all of a sudden Calderon, you know, two hours after he signs with the Golden State, he's available for the <laughs> Hawks, which was which was good for them. He was really good in the playoffs. You know, he did a lot of nice things for them. He's just kind of, you know, backup point guard, table setter, you know, and again, you know, like Bellinelli, probably like what you'd expect out of Elias Silva, you know, just a guy who makes the right plays and shoots well enough to keep the floor uncluttered for some of the other guys who are out there. Yeah, Jose Calderon, one of the things I you, you said, it, he's always going to make the right play. No, he, he, even when he was early in his NBA days, and he came over much later after a long European career, but in his early NBA days, he didn't have great foot speed, and he certainly doesn't have that now. But he's going to be in the right place. He makes the right place. He can still shoot, and he never, ever turns the ball over. I mean, it is ridiculously low, this guy's turnover rate, and has been his entire career. And one thing to remember is Travis Schlenk was part of the team in Golden State who brought him there. Exactly, exactly. That's a great point. Yeah, and I I think, you know, Malcolm Delaney, another guy, was a rookie, older rookie after playing overseas, had that backup point guard role for really most of the year until Calderon came in, and just never really seized it and said, this is mine. I'm going to be the guy behind Dennis Schroeder, and I'm going to own it. He never really did that. So I think that opens the door. And I think Calderon is also at the point in his career at this age where he's not going to pout if it's, you know, play a game, not play for a couple, be that kind of prototypical third guy. He'll keep himself ready. He'll be in there when he's asked to do things. Can even function in some of those dual point guard type of um, roles and those kind of things. So I think you're right. I think there's a better chance he's back than what people may be giving it credit for. Yep. Yeah, that, that's a really good point about, you know, Schlink being with the Warriors and the Warriors, you know, having turned to him. So, you know, I thought that Wes and Bud were certainly going to try to bring Calderon back, and and you know, I sort of think that Schlink might try to bring him back as well at the right price. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think Chris Humphreys is coming back. I mean, they they used him early in the season, and they didn't really use him late. Um, I mean, they do need a lot of bigs, but you know, what's the right price? And I don't know. They didn't. They didn't go to him in the playoffs. He's probably unhappy with that, and I just kind of, you know, gut feeling that maybe he isn't going to be back. Yeah, I feel like, is, sorry on Humphreys, oh, real sorry. quick. I feel like he's probably in a position too where he wants to maybe see if he can catch on with a team that's a little closer to being a contender. Um, he's starting to get a little later in his career. He, you know, it's probably to the point for him where it's, I don't know how many more years I have left at this, so he might want to catch on with, you know, the, the Golden State, San Antonio, Cleveland of the world, grab that veteran minimum deal, fill out a roster there, be that kind of fifth big man there, the breaking case of emergency type guy who can come in and play when the inevitable injuries come up. He's not really going to help you, but he's not going to hurt you. That's where I see him at. So I, I really, yeah, I can't see any way he's back. But I know you were going to Tavo, so go, go move, move on to him. That's the tricky one. I mean, they, he's been so good for them over the years. Uh, you know, he's such a good defender. I, I You know, I kind of thought, again, you know, going back to the cap squeeze that he might be one of those players who gets a little bit pinched in free agency and that maybe the Hawks could, could bring him back at a price that was palatable. Um, but then, you know, come playoff time, you know, he got hurt right before the playoffs, got back like two games before the end of the regular season, I think it was, and then they really didn't use him in the playoffs. You know, I think that hurt. I don't know if it, how much it was related to the injury and, you know, sort of playing in rhythm and not changing things up, but 
you know, I think that hurt him, that he didn't get to play in the playoffs. And so, you know, I don't know how he feels about that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think he might be one of those players who's, you know, looking for a situation where he knows he'll play. So that that, that might be the thing that kind of hurts the Hawks at this point. Yeah, and he's the kind of guy who will have a lot of value to a lot of different teams. He He's really that. He Well, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's at least passable. No. So he becomes almost that, that three and D type guy, maybe the three light and D guy. But he, he's a, he, he's one of those players where I think a lot of good teams would love to have a guy like him coming off their bench. You know, behind yeah. him, and, and that's you know where where he would be. So that that clears us through the free agent portion. But the Hawks do have two two interesting players on partial and non guaranteed contracts. So we're going to start off with Mike Dunleavy. So Dunleavy's contract li- little interesting. His deal is five point one seven five million dollars. So five million one hundred seventy five thousand dollars if he gets to that deal fully guaranteed. But he's guaranteed a minimum of $1.66 million if you want to, you know, go out that far. So, you know, almost $1.7 million is what his guaranteed amount is if the Hawks were to waive him today. His contract becomes fully guaranteed on July 1st. So this isn't a situation where the Hawks can say, well, you know, what do we got going on? Do we need cap space for this free agent, that free agent, or not? They've got to make a decision right at the, the start of the new league year. Is Mike Dunleavy Jr. going to be coming back with the Atlanta Hawks? I, if I had to say yes or no, I would probably say no. Um, you know, I think part of it is going to be that decision date that makes it tricky. Um, you know, just the fact that it comes so early into free agency, if they have to make that decision by July 1st, you know, they, you know, Schlenk has said he prizes flexibility and, you know, to devote that amount of money to a player who's going to be you know, maybe at best your ninth or tenth player in the rotation. Uh, you know, that's probably a that's probably a little bit of a stretch. Um, plus, they traded for Bellinelli. I think those are going to be kind of comparable roles. So, if you bring in Bellinelli, you know, do you want to devote that much money to Dunleavy? Maybe not. You know, I think that probably complicates things as well. So, I would lean towards no. I mean, I wouldn't say never, but. My guess, you know, if I had to say one or the other would be no. Yeah, I think with the, and this is another one where it's a trickle-down effect for me from the Dwight Howard trade. If they hadn't traded Dwight and it looked like maybe they were more likely to bring Millsap back and re-up with Ilyasova and Calderon and all those guys, I think then it becomes more likely Dunleavy's back because you're not going to have cap space anyway. But if you're in a world where you even have a chance at cap space and, as you said, you want that flexibility, it might be time for for them to, to move on from him. Yeah. So now the other guy, Ryan Kelly, he is the other guy who is on a non-guaranteed contract. $1.5 million, nearly $1.6 million would be his fully guaranteed amount. But he is fully non-guaranteed, so there's no money owed to him. If the Hawks waive him today, they are free and clear from his contract, and his contract fully guarantees on July 7th. The good thing about that date for the Atlanta Hawks is they'll know by then, do we... Do we need an extra $1.6 million, or have we filled out with other guys, and Kelly's you know, just kind of extraneous at this point, we don't really need him? So what are your thoughts on Ryan Kelly in a return for him? I mean, it's possible, like you said, the later date, uh, combined with the fact that you know the difference between his salary and a minimum salary really isn't that much. 
Um, so, you know, I think it's a possibility. They didn't really use him uh, much last season at all, um, you know, save for a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he, they did bring him back a few times. You know, he's one of those guys who was here, then he wasn't, then he was here, then he wasn't, then he was here again. So they kept going back to him over and over again. Um, so, you know, I think there's some interest there. Uh, but, again, you know, that was under old management. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a coin flip. You know, yeah. I think the big, the big favor in, in his factor, like I said, though, is that, you know, they'll know what their situation looks like a lot at that point, and his salary is so close to the minimum salary that, you know, it might not be uh, – might be worth them to, to bring back a big man who knows their system a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the hope with Ryan Kelly was that he was going to be able to develop into a stretch four type of guy who could step out and, and knock down three-pointers. And to, to this point in his career, it hasn't really happened. He had a couple nice early years with the Lakers and then really dropped off from there before, you know, fighting his way back onto an NBA roster with the Hawks. So so he's one of those guys where it's you know, really going to be a wait and see. And one of the things that could impact him, where I want to move to next, is the NBA draft. So in the draft, as we talked at the top of the show, the Hawks traded back from 31 to 41 in the second round. But they do have the 19th pick in the first round. So do you have any guys that you think the Hawks might be looking at, players who might be a good fit? Or if not players, what positions do you think would make sense for Atlanta to target in this year's draft? I mean, I don't think they're going to necessarily target a position. Um, I think they're open to bringing in anybody. <laughs> you know, I think they're definitely going to be you know, just looking to get talent, uh, best player available. It could be a point guard. It could be a wing. It could be a big. Um, you know, I think what they're looking for, as, as Schlenk said a couple of times, is that they're looking for you know, rangy defenders, guys with good foot speed and athleticism, you know, guys who can switch on pick and rolls and, and generally clog up passing lanes and things like that. So, you know, I think they're really looking for, for length and athleticism. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you know, I'm not sure that a lot of the traditional bigs make sense for them. I know that their roster is crying out for big men and, you know, that Plumley is really the only center on the roster and he has, you know, no experience with the Hawks yet. Um, but, you know, I think that the Hawks are going to play a lot of small ball this season. I think that, um, you know, in, in playing small ball, like a lot of the other teams are playing small ball, I think there's going to be a, a sort of a glut of free agent bigs on the market. So even though the Hawks have a glaring need for bigs, I don't think they're going to draft one unless he's particularly athletic. Uh, and if he's not, I think they'll they'll turn to fill that gap in free agency instead with more more some stopgap measures. So I think it could be, you know, it really could be anybody, like a guard, a wing, a big. But if it's going to be a big, it's going to be a super athletic big. To that point, the guy that is um, projected to them by Draft Express is 
uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but I think it's Ike Anigbogu. I think that's how, how you say it. I, I don't know why it's not just Ike. That's what it looks like to me. Um, but, you know, he goes by Ike Anigbogu, the UCLA freshman center. He's six foot ten with a wingspan of seven foot six and a quarter and is an athletic guy. So he could be somebody who makes sense off of what you said. If they go big, that's, you know, Draft Express. And, they're, you know, it, it, it's tricky, but it is – if you just look at their most recent mock draft, it is center, 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 power forward, small forward, center, power forward, center. It's it, it's all big guys at that point in the draft. So so it's hard hard to know. That could be a place where you could find value in a wing player that maybe some other teams had, had overlooked. Um, is as far as the way things go there, it, it'll be interesting to see the the direction they go because I think that this is not a the 19th pick is not a place where Travis Schlank can really say, I'm putting my stamp on this team, and this is my guy going forward. It's just at that point, it's best player available, whoever fits what you're trying to build. Right, and one of the things that, that Schlank mentioned when he when he got here was that he said that, you know, it, he was in Golden State for a long time. He was actually an assistant coach with the Warriors before he moved up into the front office. So I think he was with them for over... A decade, and I think you know, in terms of how long he was with them in the front office, I think from when he started in the front office to when they won their first championship was something like seven seasons. And you know, he said, you know, obviously seven seasons is a long time, and he thought that the Hawks were in a better place now than the Warriors were when he moved into their front office because they have 11 picks over the next three seasons. And so, you know, I think that the Hawks could definitely be a trade up, trade down team in free agency, I'm sorry, in the draft. You know, with all those picks, you know, if they want to move up to 14, you know, that there could be some future asset exchanged if there's one of those athletic players that they want to trade up and get. So, you know, I think there's a lot of potential for, for the Hawks to move around a bit. You know, if it's a bunch of centers that they're not interested in that don't really fit their style of play, um, you know, I think they'll take a pass and trade down. If if there's somebody there that they want to move up a few spots to get, um, you know, I could definitely see them trading one of those future picks to tr- try to get that done. So I think there's a lot of potential for movement based on the number of future assets they have. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. There are, you know, um, moves to be made there. I don't think, you know, I, I said it before, they're not in a position where they can afford to lock in to anybody. You're not going to make the, the big, you know, splash there at 19. It's it's best to just do do, do whatever you can to, to recoup things. So where I want to close it now in this preview is, are there any free agents out there that you think are really big targets for the Hawks? One of the things we often see is general managers as they change teams Sometimes they go back and kind of raid their former team. They'll go, you know, start snagging some guys from there. So one of the first things I always do whenever that happens is I look at the free agent list of the team that the person just left and some of the guys that the Warriors have for free agents. They've got quite a few of them. I, somehow I don't think the Hawks will be in the mix for Stephen Curry or Kevin Durant. I don't think that's going to happen. But, but guys like Ian Clark or James Michael McAdoo, do you think those are possible guys that, that Travis Schlenk could bring over as he starts to you know, rebuild the Hawks and, and what he wants them to be? Or are there some other targets out there that you think make particular sense for the team? I really like Ian Clark. His game, 
I'm just not sure that he's enough of a defender that, that that's going to be somebody that Schlenk wants. Um, I think that that might not be uh, somebody that they would go get, especially in light of the fact that Bellinelli's here. So, you know, that there's a little bit of overlap in their roles. Um, yep. So I, I don't know if they would go after Clark. I think McAdoo's interesting, really interesting. I hadn't even thought about it until you brought it up, but when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, a couple of other guys that I wondered about a little bit, and this actually goes back quite a ways, but a couple of guys who have been through the Warriors system, Epe Udo and Anthony Randolph. Yeah, yep, you guys are overseas. (laughs) They're overseas. You know, they've had some very successful careers in Europe. I think Udo's a lot healthier. He was healthier now than he was when he left the NBA. You know, he was just a Final Four MVP of EuroLeague. He's that kind of rangy defender. You know, he's a big man who can move his feet. He's got a ridiculous wingspan, clogging passing lanes and things like that. I could see him being somebody that Schlink targets. I think Anthony Randolph is actually going to be under contract for next season. I think he's already uh, – I, I don't know that it was made official, but I think he has some sort of deal set up for next season. So, you know, maybe not with Randolph this season, but, you know, could they look at him next summer? Like, that wouldn't bowl me over. That would be kind of – something that would make sense. Um, yeah, if, Randolph, it, 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 if Randolph wants to get back to the NBA at some point, I mean, I could I could see him going through Atlanta. So, you know, those are a couple of, of things that I thought about in connection with the Warriors. Yeah, that Anthony Randolph, that, you know, if I surprised you with Matthew, you're surprising me with him, but it really makes me think. And he was a really, really interesting um, when he was in the NBA previously. I mean, he's... Despite having been drafted all the way in 2008 by the Warriors, he's still only 27 years old. Yeah. He was very young when he came into the NBA. I'm just pulling up on Real GM right now. His stats last year, he played, he played, last year he played for Real, Real, uh, Real Madrid. And yeah, he had a really nice season. And he, I know he showed up on a couple of highlights with some really big dunks and blocks. So that's definitely one I think to, to watch out for. And could, could be something there that's, uh, you know, you spark some interest. That's that's one of the things why we have guys like you on the show because you're gonna you know bring those things that, that you know the the rest of us who who are someone like me who are outside of the Celtics who I cover for Celtics blog I'm gonna focus on 29 teams fairly broadly. So that's why we wanted to have you on. So one thing I want to do now, Kale, I want to kick it to you. And if there's anything you want to plug at all, tell people to where to find you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Go ahead and head and share that now. All right, I'm on Twitter at KL Chouinard. That's at K-L-C-H-O-U-I-N-A-R-D. Uh, I'm hosting the ATL on 29 podcast, which is on Twitter, spelled exactly like that. And uh, we've been on hiatus for a few weeks with the Hawks out of the postseason. But, uh, you know, with draft and free agency, we're about to, to kick off a, a rebirth of sorts uh, headed into the busy part of the offseason. Yeah, and busy is the word. This is supposed to be, for us who cover the league, this is supposed to be kind of the the slow build-up into the draft, and this week has just been insane. Um, You know, it's just been uh, more things. I think the big break between the finals 
in the draft, and then there's a little slightly longer break between the draft, drafts on the earlier side on the 22nd, and the start of free agency. I think has teams award teams. show, award show though. We got to do the award show. The award show. That's it. Yeah, you know, we're, you know, three months later, we're going to find out who the MVP is. You know, that should be, you know, that uh, we'll save that for another show. <laughs> you know, but I really want to thank you, KL, for coming on here with me. I really appreciate you coming on to the NBA front office show. This has been your Atlanta Hawks preview. Again, I'm your host, Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA, K-E-I-T-H-S-M-I-T-H-N-B-A. No special characters, no spaces, nothing like that. And again, on Twitter, hit me up. Give me any feedback you want to give me about the show. I promise you I will read all of it. I get back to as much of it as I can. We want to make this show your one-stop shop for NBA roster building, CBA, salary cap transactions, those type of things. That's what we're looking to do. Again, this has been the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we'll talk to you next time. No, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning. You know? Then you can save up for a, I don't know, a really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.